Okay, good morning all. And a uh, real joy to be with you as uh, my sound levels are uh, <laughs> adjusted. Hey, what a great, I mean, you dream of being invited to preach on uh, uh, the letter to uh, the Ephesians. And it's my privilege this morning, thank you, darling. My privilege this morning to pick things up towards the end of chapter one, Paul's prayer. And we're going to go straight in, okay? Uh, He says from verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. I could go home now. (laughs) What can I add? Man alive, what a passage, what a prayer. There are so many ways that we can define what it means to be a Christian. And Paul's prayer here gives many pointers, and I'm going to pick out three in particular. What difference has it made to us now that we have put our trust in Christ? Well, the genuine Christian understands that he is now a citizen of a new nation. Okay? We're now part of God's household. That's going to be my first point, which I'll open up in a moment. Secondly, the genuine Christian knows that they are empowered by the Spirit to live a godly life. And that's going to be my second point. Um, Thirdly, the genuine Christian understands that they are now in eternal union with Christ. And that, if I get to it, is going to be my... (laughs) The trouble with preaching from these passages is you get very easily very excited, and then you never get the time to finish what you wanted to say. But hopefully we'll get through to that, which is the most important point. So what difference does it make to be a Christian than before? I now have full eternal rights as a citizen of heaven. Amen. (laughs) That's good. I now have power to live a life that pleases God. Hallelujah. And Jesus Christ is forever mine, and I am forever his. What a deal. What a deal. Come on. Now we're going to start then. Our identity as the people of God. 
Paul refers to it pre- uh, quite, quite frequently in this prayer because he's praying to a, a church. He's, he's not praying for an individual. This, is, this letter isn't written to an individual. It's written to a bunch, okay? About, he's talking about your faith. You know, he's talking in a collective sense, a plural sense in verse 15. And he goes down to speak about the fact that, you know, we have a glorious inheritance in verse 18 in his holy people. We are a holy... He's talking to us as a people. That's what he's referring to here. You know, that Christ is the head over everything in verse 22 for the church, his body. Now, we speak, rightly so, we speak a lot about our identity in Christ as adopted sons and daughters, and it is right that we make much of this, okay? Because that is the goal of redemption for us. The goal of redemption for us is that we will be adopted as sons and daughters of God with the full rights of heaven. And that's just, that is the goal for us. The goal for God is that he will have for himself a people, okay? It's not all about us. But one of the things, one of the challenges for us in 21st century Western civilization is to try and tease ourselves out of the hyper-individualistic mindset of our age when everything is about me, me, me. Okay? No, it's not. <laughs> God has saved us. Well, that is about me. So that I might be his people. I can be part of his new nation. So I want to encourage us today, and I think uh, Dominani led us so well in the worship, just to um, celebrate what it means for us to be the people of God. It's great to celebrate the fact that uh, we have an identity in Christ as sons and daughters, but it is great to, uh, to celebrate the fact that we have an identity as the people of God. We are God's own people. We are God's holy nation. We are one new nation from every tribe and nation and language. His goal, God's goal, is to have one new man in Christ. Hallelujah. So these are your people. All right? It's so important that we lay hold of this. Okay? In 1 Peter 2, uh, Paul, uh, Peter says this, You are... A chosen race. What an interesting choice of words. He's talking to us, all of us. Doesn't matter what your ethnic identity might be, and that's important and will be retained in heaven. We'll come back to that. But actually, we are now a chosen. He's chosen us as a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are God's own people. This is our identity. We're the people of God. Once we were not a people, now we're the people of God. The citizens of a new nation with a new government. The government is on the shoulders of our king. Isn't it wonderful to know there's no politics in heaven? (laughs) Isn't it good to know? You know, I get a bit concerned sometimes people sort of thinking about you know, when, he, when you're Christian this and a Christian that. I think, no, you know, Christ hasn't come to redeem our politics. He's come to redeem his church, okay? And when we get to heaven, all right, there's not... I'm sorry I have to say this. This will be a disappointment for some of you. There won't be a national health service in heaven, okay? Your job will have been done. 
okay? Because there's no sickness in heaven, hallelujah, you know? There's no um, Chancellor of the Exchequer in heaven, all right? We don't have to wait for the budget, the Holy Spirit coming with his little briefcase. You can buy and eat without money up there, uh, or wherever it is, over there, okay? We're not going to need an army, thankfully. No military service for me in heaven. Uh, there's no transport department. The Bible says there's no separation. You can be wherever you want to be. Isn't that an amazing thought? No separation. There's no uh, department for the environment. Perfect world. No requirement for a commission for racial harmony. We're one new nation. Yeah? We're God's own people, where God will dwell, his power and his presence with us. I've been so struck. I mean, I prophesied about this the other week, just that, you know, this is the dwelling place of God. You know, not this building. This isn't the holy place. You're the holy place. You are the holy place where God wants to live. He wants to live among us. And one of the things, you know, one of the things that we must learn to treasure is the manifest presence of God when we gather. Okay? Now, we are all individual uh, bearers of the Spirit. But when we come together, God manifests himself in a way that is unique. And when we gather together in the name of Christ, the presence of God comes to Ipswich. So Sunday is not sort of, you know, Sunday is not sort of uh, a, a duty or a burden. It's a phenomenal opportunity to bring the presence of God into the middle of your town. You want God to transform your town? Come to, on a Sunday and worship your heart out with the people of God. And let's enjoy the presence of God where the believers are reassured and reaffirmed and the non-believer says, something's happening here. Something, surely your God must be with you. Something's happening. And this is my, my prayer whenever we come together in worship. That as we abandon our hearts to God, and as he is pleased to dwell with us in his manifest presence, that hearts are bound up, wounds are healed, minds are cleansed, people come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, isn't that a wonderful thing? Yeah. Such a beautiful thing to be the people of God. A, a building where God can live, us. So let's treasure the, prince, the presence of God. Let's, let's value one another, please. Please. We're not a club or a society. We're a new nation. These are your fellow citizens. There's not much that you're going to take with you when you go to heaven whether you like it or not, you're going to take me with you. All right? And you're going to take one another. You look around you, okay? You're not going to take all of your achievements and your worldly wealth and accumulations, none of that. We're not going to take this building with us. We're going to be, but we will take each other with us, together with all the universal church of Christ. Hallelujah. And that is our destiny. We're going to carry our ethnic identity into heaven. I love that. You know, when you read at uh, uh, John's vision of the church at the end of Revelation where he saw there were people there from every tribe, nation, and language worshipping the king. And I think that's incredible. You know, we have this new citizenship. There's one new man in Christ, but we carry with us our national, our ethnic identity into heaven. 
And I am really looking forward. So I remember, I remember some people say, oh, you know, we, we've got our plans, we're going to go on, we want to visit this place, we want to visit that place. And I think, well, that's great, but, you know, I've got all eternity to do that. You know? And I, I really am looking forward to a thousand years on the golden beaches of redeemed Brazil. <laughs> yeah? And then maybe, maybe a thousand years in the joyful chaos of India. You know, and the warm hospitality of Moldova. And I've got all the time in the world to go and savour what God has created among us. And then I've got the whole of a new heaven to explore. Man, it's going to be a blast. Looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it? So Paul speaks to us here about our identity as his people, and it's precious, and we must treasure it and celebrate it and recognize that we belong to each other, that he is our king, and that when we gather together, he wants to dwell with us in a way that is quite profound in his manifest presence that is a blessing to this town. Secondly, Paul speaks about the power to live a godly life. He goes into some length about the immeasurable power of God. He speaks of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, of us having enlightened hearts, of incomparable power for us who believe. This same power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's a power above all other powers in this age and the next. That is power. There is no other power, no other name greater than the name of Jesus and the power he pours out on us by his spirit. Is that not an amazing thing to consider? Did you reckon on that when you were sort of sat there thinking, what a miserable wretch I am. Who will save me from this life of condemnation? And Jesus said, I will save you. I forgive you. And you say, God, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. And I turn from my selfish, rebellious ways and I turn to you. Did you realize that the consequence of that, as Peter says in Acts 2, is that you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power that is greater than all other powers in the universe. He's going to pour that upon you. You should look a little bit more excited about that than you appear to look at the moment. This is the power of God. What a deal. He's pouring his power, this power greater than any other power in this age and the next that was sufficient to raise the Son of God back to life is available to each one of us who believe in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to live in the power of God and to live by the Spirit of God? What comes to your mind? This is the primary... There are a number of primary benefits of your salvation. One is that you've been reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Yeah? And you are now his child. You've been given the right to be called a child of God. And you are now a citizen of a new nation. And you are now a bearer of the greatest power available to anyone in the universe. You're bearing that. Living waters. So it's come from within. Greater than any other power. What other power are you facing in your life? What other power are you facing? What other thing are you intimidated by or feeling under the influence of? Well, the power of God is greater. 
than any power that is exerting its influence on your life. Political, relational, whatever it might be, financial power. Whatever power is bearing down on you and crushing your spirit and making you think, how can I get away from this? Well, you have a power within you that is greater than any power. This is the benefit. This is what Christ has obtained for us. And it's a beautiful thing. Okay? Now, I wonder, what comes to your mind when you think of what it means to be an empowered person? Now, we often speak about power in terms of the supernatural, rightly so. Powers to heal, we were celebrating that in our worship. Power to bring insights and revelations to one another with spiritual gifts. Power to drive out demons. You know, maybe even power to raise the dead. Hallelujah. This is the power of God. But the power that Paul is drawing our attention to here is a power that means we no longer have to live our life in our own strength, but we now live by his power. It's not willpower, it's his power. This is what God is expecting. So in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Oh, please, soak it in. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The power of God enables me to think like Christ. To have the mind of Christ and to live a life that is pleasing to God. I cannot do this in my own power. No man or woman that has ever lived with one particularly notable exception is able to do this. No one. Only Christ. I cannot do, I can't live this life in my own power. And neither does God expect me to. He has empowered me to live a godly life. The power of a transformed mind. I'm telling you, I'm being perfectly honest with you. All right? This means more to me than the power for miraculous signs. And I put a very high value on the power for miraculous signs. If I did not have the power of God to transform my mind, my life would be a car crash. I would be a wreck. If I had not met Christ, if I had not been filled with his power, if I had not feasted on his word in scripture, if I had not been cared for and discipled by the examples of others in Christian community, my life would be a car crash. Because I can't do it in my own strength. It's not, my, it's not gritted teeth and willpower and positive thinking and therapy and let's listen to another podcast and I'll feel better about it. No! It's the power of God for a transformed mind. Hallelujah. And he's poured that power out on me. And this is good news. I said to myself before I preached, I said, Morris, don't get too intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too intense. People don't know me that much. They'll think I'm weird. No, 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 come on. <laughs> okay, one of, for me, one of the most powerful verses in Scripture, okay, Galatians 5, verse 16. Right, this, for me, I mean, it has remained a, 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 a substantially significant verse 
But particularly through my formative years, as I was grappling with my, my, my thought life and my attitudes and my appetites and thinking, God, why, you know, I want to be like you. Why am I still thinking like this? Why am I still vulnerable to that? Why can that person knock my legs out from underneath me just by looking at me? What, what is going on here? I'm supposed to be an overcomer, you know? And uh, Galatians 5.16, I, I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is such an important verse, friends. It's such an important verse. Live by the Spirit. Now, the people of God have been living by the law. And the law tells you, not, you must not do these things. Don't do that. Don't do this. Oh, have you done that now? The law is a very, very bad husband. The Bible tells us in Romans 5. He's a rubbish husband, just forever telling us what we could do or what we should do, but not helping us to do it. The law tells us that we mustn't do these things and puts all the obligation on you and on me to make the right choices and make sure we don't do, you know. It's all, it's, the, law, the law doesn't help us and leaves us to figure it out, work it out for ourselves. Now, this verse tells me that if I live by the Spirit, I will not do these things. Have you picked that up? If you live by the law, the law says, do not do these things. If you live by the Spirit, the Bible says, you will not do these things. Which do you prefer? What does this mean? It means that in the Spirit of God, we are empowered to live a godly life. And that is a motivation for us to be filled again and again with his power because it enables us to take the word of God and live by it. It gives us the power and the strength so I, I just want to appeal. We're going to be praying for some people when I finish in a, in, a, in a little while here now. If you are wrestling with your thought life, if, you know, if your thinking is crushed, if you're thinking, you know, I cannot, I cannot believe that God loves me. I can't believe. I don't have the, the strength to make that choice. I don't have the ability to withstand that toxic relationship. I can't do this. God is saying, hallelujah, you can't do this. But my strength and my power within you, you can do this. And I'm not expecting you to do this on your own. And I'm going to offer an opportunity to pray for some of you in a short while. But let's just look at um, the third point that... Uh, Paul mentions here. And uh, th my third point is that what it means for us to be saved is not simply that we have turned away from sin, but that we have turned to Christ. We are eager for Christ. We are eager for him. There's a, we are eager to pursue him in every way we can. Now, the parable of the sower tells us there can be many different responses to the gospel. You know this, the seed of truth some seed falls on the path, some on rocky ground, some among the thorn bushes, some 
on good soil. It's in Matthew 13. We haven't got time to look at it now. But there are different responses to the gospel. I just want to refer to three responses. The first one, um, Jesus talks about in Luke 17, when he heals the lepers. Do you remember this? The ten lepers. So I'll just read it out to you. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. Sounds a bit like COVID, this, doesn't it? Saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they, as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. I think this is quite a sobering incident. You know, some people turn to Christ because they are uh, worried about hell or the consequences of not doing this. John Piper says... There is a phony faith that wants only escape from hell, but has no desire for Christ. That kind of faith does not save. It does not produce an eager expectation for Christ to come. In fact, it would rather that Christ not come for as long as possible, so it can have as much of this world as possible. That's not, that's not the sort of faith that Paul is talking about here. Yeah. Nine lepers took the benefits of their healing but did not acknowledge God. One returned to Jesus with thankfulness and worship and he said, your faith has made you well. I don't want to think about this too much. You know? Yeah. Didn't, because you didn't give glory to God. He's not saying, you know, because you didn't give glory to God, I'm a mean God and I'm not going to heal you. What he's saying is because you did not give glory to God, you didn't understand what happened here. What happened here is not simply that you've escaped hell, what has happened here is that you've won Christ. You've got Christ, which is better by far. It's not just, oh, okay, well, I, I'm not going to hell now, so I'll just carry on with this life. No, you're not fit for this world anymore. Why are you still pursuing the things of this life? You're not fit for this world anymore. You've now been fit for heaven. You've got different appetites, different goals in life, different ambitions shaped by God. Not just thinking, okay, now I'm going to heaven, I can get on now with indulging myself in this world. No, that's not the sort of faith that we're talking about here. It's a faith that understands, I've now won Christ. I've now got Christ. Yeah, I, My heart is now for the kingdom of God and for our glorious king. A second response is what we call the Roman seven man. Have you ever heard people talk about the Roman seven man? This is the guy who just gets himself right in a knot. So he's sort of saying things, um, you know... Um, uh, what, he goes on, I do what I, what I do not want. He said, we know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law is good. There is no longer I, but the sin that dwells within me. Ah, you know, gets into a right old twist. And people sometimes, they read that and they think, oh, that's a real comfort for me because I'm a bit like that. And Paul had the same problem. You need to understand Paul was not talking about himself here. All right? He was not talking about himself. He was saying, that is what happens if you try to live under the covenant of the Spirit by approaching God under the covenant of the law. 
Okay? He's describing a legalist in Romans 7. Read about it. So what a wretch I am. How can I do this? How can I please God? You know, when he gives his own answer in the first verse of chapter 8, there's therefore no condemnation. Well, the Roman 7 man sounded like a pretty condemned man to me. No, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So we don't want that second response, that we're still trying to please God through our own effort in the law. But no, we're learning what it means to live in the spirit, and he empowers us to fulfill the law. These are really important things to get our hearts around. So we have the third response to the gospel. Hebrews 9.28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the response that Paul is yearning for. We are those, we're those that are eagerly waiting for Christ. We eagerly wait upon him. This is our heart. You know, we're not just turning from the world and from sin. We're turning to Christ. We receive him. We welcome him. We embrace him. Not as our insurance policy, but as our eagerly awaited treasure and friend and Lord. Now, we're going to play a quick video. Now, there was a time when we used to play this video on loop some years ago. Dr. Lockridge, some of you, you'll remember this, and it'll be like meeting an old friend. Some maybe you haven't heard this before. It's just a beautiful three minutes on what it means to put Christ front and center in our thinking. So let's just watch this video as I bring this to a close. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the
the age. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. saved, we don't get our perfect life. We get his perfect life. I just want to pray for anybody. Should we just stand together? I just want to pray for anybody here who knows that they need the power of God to help them to embrace Christ and to live a godly life. That is a str- it's been a struggle for you. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. I just want to pray. Although, you know, it's been a struggle for you. You're just thinking, this is, I can't find it. I can't do this. God says, I don't, I'm not expecting you. I'm expecting you to receive my power a mighty strength that is going to enlighten your mind that is going to release your heart and we have sometimes we talk about what what does it mean when a preacher says the presence of God is here we what does that I wonder what that means you know Paul says in Romans 12 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know the power of God today? Do you know the power of God, a mighty strength within you that enables you to test the will of God and walk in it? So if this has been a burden that I struggle with, I just want to reach you to reach your hands out where you are right now. Just reach your hands out, just where you stood. Just say, God, I I need to know your power for godly living. I can't do this on my own. What is the presence? What do we mean by the presence of God? Well, for me, it's 
It's, a, it's an overwhelming of my senses. You know, if I've, I've come into the presence of God. People say sometimes, you know, you know uh, I don't know if I've been baptized in the Spirit. Well, you know, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not sure, you probably haven't. you to be filled again. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, go on being filled. Go on being filled with the Spirit of God. Come and fill us today, we pray, Lord. Lord, let there be wonderment at your glory. Let there be joy. Celebration of joy. This is true. You've come for us. You've not abandoned us in our own mess, but you came down and you have paid the price, the penalty for my rebellion, that I would be reconciled to my Father in heaven, that I'd be made new, a new creation, that I'd be given a new heart, that you'd be renewing my mind, and you haven't left me flapping about trying to figure out how to do this. You've given me the power of heaven that has raised Christ from the dead that is greater than any other power. You've given that to me that I might live a life that pleases God according to his word and according to his will. Come and fill us, Lord. Joy, relief, tears of relief. God, you're with us. What a relief. I experienced the presence of God with relief more than in any other way. It's just a relief. He's, he's here. He's real. Yeah. I don't need a theology degree to know that he's real. I've met him. I've met him. You can't tell me I've not met him. I've met him. Deep, deep reassurance. A peace from heaven. It's a peace that the world can't give us. You won't get it in alcohol or pornography or, or self-betterment uh, programs. No, this is a peace that only heaven can give you. And people look at it and think, that doesn't make any sense. You say, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so that's Jesus for you. That's what he gives. That's what he does. My peace I give you, he says. Not like the world. My peace I give you. That's the presence of God. Hallelujah. Come. Holy Spirit, flood our hearts. Lord, Lord, let there be wonder. Let there be relief. Let there be deep peace. Let there be joy. Let there be power of sound mind. Pray for that, Lord. Those wrestling with mental illness, I pray for right now. Okay? Praise God for every minute of therapy. And we give thanks to God for skillful practitioners. But we pray you'll be flooded with the power of God. I pray you'll be flooded with the power of God. God could do what nothing, God can do what you can't do. You can't do it. You know you can't do it. And these people can help, but God can do it. God can break things. He can make things. He can mend things. He can straighten things. That's what God does. I'd be a, wreck, I'd be a car crash. You never knew me before I was saved. I would be a wreck had I not met Jesus. You know, is he a crutch? He's a life support system. He's everything. He's everything I have. I have nothing else. He's all I have. Oh, Jesus. So I pray, Lord God, just flood and fill our hearts 
We're going to, the, the, the band are going to lead us in a worship song. If you want to come forward, particularly the prayer team to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. Let's pray you'd be filled again with the power of God. If you are struggling to do this in your own strength, you need to know that's not the intention of God. He wants you to know his power, not grit your teeth. Okay? So as we sing this song, if you would appreciate uh, understanding prayer, come forward to the front. We will gather around you and pray for you. And then Tim will bring things to a close.